There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sport. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Nope, not Tom. It's Chris McCarty still with you. Glutton for punishment, so I am. And if you're tuned in, you are as well, because I've been on air already this afternoon for four hours. We find ourselves now live at Barasti, where the game is always on. You are listening to The Grill. We're with you through until nine o'clock, and an awful lot to discuss between now and then. We've got fourth round Emirates FA Cup action to keep you abreast of. Early kickoff is at Griffin Park in London. It is Brentford against Leicester City. Goal updates as they go in in your 7pm kickoffs, building up to the late kickoff as well. It is Hull City against Premier League Chelsea. There's cricket down in South Africa. Day two of the fourth and final test between South Africa and England. We'll give you updates of that. Day six of the Australian Open. Rafael Nadal's been in action. Nick Kyrgios has also been in action as well. We'll tell you what has gone on on an eventful day. And of course, the big news from yesterday, Serena Williams is out. Defending women's champion Naomi Osaka is out. And Roger Federer pushed all the way. There's news of Anthony Joshua's next fight after his next fight and it could be coming closer to home more on that Chris Froome as well cycling four time Tour de France champion big announcement from him and when it comes to UE football a massive massive announcement over the course of the past couple of days that we'll put you in the picture with as well if you've got a thought on all anything whatsoever to do with sport 4001 you can download the messenger app for free Dubai 1038 get in touch with us join the conversation the sun has set beautiful night down here at Barasti if you're looking to uh, catch any of the football there is only one place to be that is Barasti do pop on down and say hello it's myself Chris McCarty Tom Uckert will be with us in the not too distant future he'll be telling us why he's a little late today because well it's all to do with the HSBC Rugby Youth Festival the biggest of its kind anywhere and he may well just have a special guest with him as well Matt Fortune is alongside myself but all of that much more to be discussed between now and nine o'clock get involved in the conversation you are listening to The Grill live from Barasti this is The Grill on Dubai I 103.8 oh right then I've done four Matt you're going to just take over for the next three hours good evening my man good evening Chris great to have you back thanks very much first of all I do need to apologize Chris I haven't seen you since about 2.30 in the morning <laughs> on Tuesday. Yes. When as Hector Bellerin <laughs> shaped what was the best goal of Arsenal's season into the bottom corner. Yeah. I let out from your I sofa yelped. what can best be described as a scream. It was a yelp. Of a teenage girl <laughs> while your wife and child were asleep next door. So I do need to, to officially apologise for that. For that. I, yeah, <laughs> I am I, sorry. I, I, sh- I, I shot you a glare <laughs> that was... I guess daggers at 10 paces because I'm like you can't be shouting out <laughs> at 2.30 in the morning not when the missus and the wee one are in bed but yeah big result that for Arsenal yeah. because they played what over an hour with yeah, 10 men yeah 70 odd minutes it was an incredible game really it was one of those I, I don't <laughs> being an Arsenal fan I tend not to stay up very long very very often anymore for those late games such as the disappointment that comes with watching Arsenal but yep. I thought you and I had plans to make for, for our summer holiday to, to Europe and yep. I thought let's do it let's watch Arsenal see, see what this whole new Arteta regime is about against the bigger team obviously we beat a Man United but that doesn't tend We're to count a as a anymore. big club anymore and, and I mean it was brilliant the first half an hour I was texting friends saying that we, if football is an entertainment 
business, we are at least entertaining in the comedic sense. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it was slapstick stuff, oh, wasn't it? It was. Um, I heard someone describe it. There's uh, the Arsenal defenders playing all the hits in that first half hour. <laughs> they were all over the place, oh, and yeah, then it just uh, something we don't see for, from Arsenal. I promise not to make all three hours about about Arsenal, but it was it was heart, it was organisation, it had everything that a properly well coached team get, yeah. and, and I think that was probably why my my emotions maybe got the better of me at the end. Yeah, big result midweek. If you did miss it, Chelsea two, Arsenal two, Arsenal not once but twice coming back from a goal behind to level things up. They played ten men. David Luiz, the comedic figure of David <laughs> Luiz, he's sideshow Bob, isn't he? Sideshow Bob and well features and looks and, and the way he plays. I mean, I was never a fan, and, and that's my problem with Arsenal. And I know you were a Lauren Kincelny fan before him, but Arsenal have had in the last ten years calamitous centre halves. I mean, you just can't get centre halves right. Yeah, it's a failure of investment, proper investment, proper thinking, I think. And, and that goes back, unfortunately, to the Arsene Wenger era. He was so wedded to the philosophy of going forward and yeah. attack being the best form of defence that he did neglect that position. I mean, not even in defence, but in the heart of your central midfield, he neglected that position for such a long time. But I think, actually, we've got some news that, that will come through a bit later on that there may be something for, for Gunners fans to be positive Indeed. about. Yes, Arsenal fans do get in touch with us. We will discuss Arsenal in a little bit more detail as we go. An awful lot for us to discuss between now and nine o'clock. A couple of local big stories this past week. I want to get Matt's thoughts on. I want to get your thoughts on as well, you guys out there. 4001 to enter and to join the debate, join the conversation this evening. I want to start, though, with a live game. It is Emirates FA Cup. And Emirates, of course, proud sponsors of the oldest cup competition anywhere on the planet. So we will give Emirates their due. They pay an awful lot of money to have their name <laughs> stuck on that particular competition. So it is the Emirates FA Cup. It's fourth round action. It's at Griffin Park. And anyone that knows when I'm talking about Griffin Park, as you fly into Heathrow... You will yeah. often fly over Griffin Park. It is the home of Brentford, although they are moving to a new stadium next they season. They are right? indeed. In fact, I was back in the UK a couple of weeks ago. It's not far from, from my house, actually, Brentford. And I have a bit of self-indulgent moment played on Griffin Park. <laughs> I may have mentioned that on the show before. I probably should get some, You've mentioned it five times. some new material. Brilliant. Lost 1-0. Under 13's League Cup final, yeah. Oh, yet. no. My, my fault, the goal oh, as well. Oh, no, really? Sorry. Anyway, we digress. I'm sure people <laughs> don't need to, to hear about that. But, yeah, they are moving. Brentford very much so. And you'll, you'll have the insight, I'm yeah. sure. A side very much on the up. A very well-managed club. Yes. A very well-supported club in a very busy part of West London and yeah they are moving I believe at the end of next season is it next season I, I thought it was this so season because I they've got it's an, it's an enormous stadium it looks like it's a very futuristic big silver spaceship looking stadium essentially halfway between a uh, state of the art I think a, we say <laughs> a railway line um, and the and the A4 that goes directly into Heathrow part of the the approval process for getting that stadium built is regenerating uh-huh. part of the railway system around that area really really positive for a place it's uh, if anybody knows around Acton and West London near Kew near Richmond it is a lovely part of town and, and a big club should be there it's owned by Matthew Benham, a man who, I'm not going to go into the details of how that man made his money, but he made his money nonetheless. He is owner of FC Michelin up in Denmark. Think Moneyball. If you think Moneyball yeah. and, and what Liverpool have done, and of course Moneyball, the, the term was coined by uh, Billy Bean over for the Oakland Athletics, where you're looking at sabermetrics, essentially, yeah. and I'm not going to go into too much detail <laughs> on that. Jeepers. Although I'm sure you probably could, Chris. I could easily <laughs> go into all things sabermetrics. Essentially looking for value. It's uh, There's data algor- uh, algorithms if I can get that word out, <laughs> algorithms, I've got it, third time lucky, uh, and all of that, and looking at where value is in the market. He did a great job with FC Michelin. He's bought Brentford. They do things a little bit differently, and it's the German Thomas 
Frank, who's in charge, he replaced Dean Smith. He was Dean Smith's yeah. number two. Dean Smith, of course, now Aston Villa manager, and they've put together a real good squad. There's a lot of value. A lot of uh, players from all around Europe and all around the world. You look at Sergi Canos, Spanish. You look at Matthias Jensen, Danish. A lot of Danish players. You look at David Raya, Spanish, the goalkeeper. Uh, Nilos Karelis, the number uh, nine. He's a forward from Greece. An Algerian inside Ben Rama. So they've got an awful lot of players from all around Europe. So they do, but they've done things proper. Ollie Watkins is a player to look out for as well, the number 11. I know an awful lot of Premier League clubs have taken a little look at him in recent months. And they are third currently in the championship table. They are taking on Leicester. We'll come round to this because <laughs> I did say Brentford and then we went, we digressed a little bit. But they're in action. Early kickoff in this Emirates FA Cup fourth round. They're taking on Leicester City. You've got the deeds, Matthew. I do indeed, Chris. A worryingly out of form, Leicester City. Yeah. I think lost four in six. So they probably would have looked at the, an FA Cup weekend and thought a lower league opposition, this is what we need. And then they go up and get up against, uh, against Brentford, who are flying. But it is the visitors, Leicester City, who lead 1-0. That man, Ian Acho, I think now with his eighth goal in 10 FA Cup games, doesn't get enough game time for me at Leicester. Always looks... Certainly not for the first half of his career there, I'll give you that, but he has certainly come into himself, I think, in the last six months to a year. Yeah. Deserves a little bit more time, offers them something a little bit different. It was his goal poaching towards the back, towards the far post, about 20 minutes into this game, in what was a dominant first half, really, for the Foxes. Brentford have come back into it, just as we started this little piece of conversation. They did hit the post and needed uh, the Leicester fullback. I didn't see who it was, Fuchs, I think, to hook one clear away from the line. So they're definitely in it, the Bees, but it remains with about 25 minutes ago, 1-0 to Leicester. Yeah, Leche Ian Archer, 25 million quid which is what, 125 million dirhams he was assigning for Leicester from Man City, I remember watching him oh 2000 when was it 2011 my first or second year in Dubai he was over as part of the FIFA under 17 World Cup he actually finished the tournament top goal scorer mm-hmm. he was on the books of Hamburg and this is niche if it is Hamburg then I've got to get out more but he was on the books of Hamburg and he was a young boy Nigerian international Man City saw him in that competition Mm. a real poacher you know he reminds me a little bit the way that he is in, in, in and around the box a little bit like Ian Wright in that yeah. regard he's Excellent a real he reads it really well he's re- always anticipates where the ball is going to be he always just fi- but Jermaine Defoe-esque as well yeah. just a real poacher and he's getting his chance Jamie Vardy injured and he's uh, well he's repaid the faith shown in him by Brendan Rodgers a big goal that yeah absolutely it's a curious one that I think the problem with centre forwards like that one of those poachers not necessarily a player that stretches the play like yeah. Vardy they're very different is that you almost need to build oh, just as we're talking he's being hooked <laughs> for 20 minutes to go of course he is um, we need to, you need to you need to build your attacking approach around a player like that. You see, you're just watching the goal back there. It's Lovely very goal. simple, front to back, uh, back to front. Sorry, ball through the middle, and I think who is that that squares? Is that Iosi Perez? And it's Ian Acho. He's dragged his centre for uh, centre back to the near post, and then just a simple step yeah. back to create that space. It's real simple centre forward play, but when it's done, it's so difficult to do it well and do it as often as he does. But I think uh, going back to the point is that you need to build your attacking play around that. Rodgers doesn't necessarily play to that way, but I think he's slowly finding his feet. And with Vardy, we don't know how long Vardy's going to be out for yet. It could be an opportunity for him to actually nail down consistent 90 minutes games for himself. Yeah, absolutely. You're not wrong. 22 minutes remaining then at Griffin Park. It's Brentford 0, Leicester 1. There's a raft of 7pm kickoffs. I appreciate there are matches across Europe as well. You want to keep it locked. Dubai 103.8. As the goals go in, you will be the first to hear about it. We are your one-stop shop 
talk for all things sport between now and nine o'clock. I want to di- uh, digress a little bit. I want to get away from the footy just for a little spell, and we will be joined as well. Big story pertaining to Newcastle United that is uh, bubbling up nicely over the course of the past 24 hours. We're going to be speaking to a man very much in the know when it comes to a potential takeover of Newcastle United just after 6.30. But a couple of local stories I want to get your thoughts on, Matthew. Big stories, and let's give the local stories their due, and I appreciate it. It is day three of the Omega Dubai Desert Classic. That is where I've been all afternoon. We'll give you a leaderboard update after 20 past. For now, though, two big stories in the week. I want to start in cycling. We don't do it often, Mm -hmm. but, well, Chris Froome, it's not often that a four-time Tour de France winner is heading for the UE, but that's exactly what he's doing to kickstart his 2020. Yeah, absolutely right, Chris. This is excellent news. I was uh, I was privy to this information about 24 uh, 24 hours before it was uh, it was released. 24 minutes, yeah. 24 minutes. 24, yeah, 24 hours. 24 minutes. Oh, I've got the scoop. 24 minutes. I'll sit on this. <laughs> Sold one. it into the national newspapers <laughs> back home quickly. No, I was uh, I was privy to this information. I definitely have to say I was very very excited about this. I'm a bit I'm a big cycling fan. Yeah. I do find the Tour, the Giro, some of the most exciting things to watch. Not for maybe the four hours before the final 200 meters, but <laughs> you know what I mean. But yeah. yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Let me take you back first before we tell you what's happening to June last year. Chris Froome, largely expected to lead the way for Team Ineos or Team... Sky. Were they Sky then? Team no. Sky then. Team Ineos... Uh, no, they were Ineos then. Yeah, they were Ineos. Yeah, because, were they? Yeah, because they were largely more popular on the uh, <laughs> in the peloton because they changed their name. But we digress. Take you back to mid-June. There's Chris Froome, the leading team in cycling, the leading rider, won four of the last six, as you say. And he's on a training ride, just warming up about a month before the tour goes. And I do, I do apologise to the listeners for this specific bit of detail. But the detail that was given when he crashed into a wall that he was doing what can best be described as clearing his nose on a windy, on a windy day. So he took one hand he off the blowing his nose. Essentially that. Oh there's a, there's a, something more specific where you use one ah, hand. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, so do yeah. apologise to the listeners for that. But that's what he was doing, a training ride. No concerns around him anywhere. Caught in a crosswind, and this is what happened. He hit a wall at 37 miles an hour, Ooh. which, crikey, do those calculations. Yeah. is the best part of 52, 53 kilometres an hour. That's some serious speed. He fractured his neck. He fractured his right femur. He broke a hip. He also fractured his ribs. And also one that I've read here is that he fractured his sternum, which I find quite staggering. So it's almost that like... doesn't surprise me at 37 It's almost like he just went star-jumped into this wall and just hit full frontal on his well, body. Well, I would imagine, with a bike crumpling into the wall at, what, 52-53, exactly right. he's yeah. come up off the saddle and went... Gosh. I mean, uh, yeah, you can visualise it. It's not very nice. Goodness me. Absolutely staggering. He hasn't. He's, he's got back on a bike in October, so six months of rehab. He was in intensive care for a period. There was real concerns that he might not necessarily be able to walk again, let alone ride and compete, as he has done so well for the last few years. But back he is. In October, he took a little training ride out around what will be the Olympic time trial course in Tokyo later this year. Yeah, interesting. And then this year, uh, this week, sorry, it was announced that in February, February 23rd, Chris Froome will be back at the UAE Tour. Brilliant. Which is absolutely Real fantastic coup. for any cycling fan, sports fans. I mean, that is sporting royalty. Yeah. To be representing here in the UAE is, is superb. We often talk about it on Off Script Extra Time. And, and listen, do lend us your thoughts on this one. When we talk about sportsmen and women who, who don't get the column inches, hmm. don't get the credit that perhaps their achievements deserve. Now, the obvious one is always Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. You go to Lewis because for whatever, and I, and I appreciate an awful lot of people out there have their own views on this. A lot of people say Lewis is arrogant. It's the way he comes across. Some say it's just inherent racism from a media perspective. And, 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 and listen, you're, you, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I've got my own thoughts on that. With Chris Froome, though, 
he in many respects is tarred by mm-hmm. well listen it doesn't help that Team Sky have been caught up in some controversy in the last couple of years let's be frank about that but he is caught up in the maelstrom there is the Lance Armstrong affair four time Tour de France winner because lest we forget if he goes on to win the Tour de France and I appreciate it, it's a big ask you've got yeah. Garant Thomas you've got other riders Roman Bardet you've got some real good riders yeah, who are fancied if he goes and wins the Tour de France though he equals the record, five-time winner, because we're forgetting Lance and his seven. He's the fourth man to win five, technically, I mean, technically the fifth, but as you say, we've, we've forgotten one of those, absolutely. But it's phenomenal. I think, I mean, there's a great number of bits that you could delve into and we could talk for hours, or I could certainly talk for hours about this. But I think the difficulty is when some something is so, someone or something, in this case, Team Ineos, as they were Team Sky, yeah. are so dominant. And they're so dominant to the point where it's almost like everybody thinks you're, you're taking the joy out of sport. I don't think that because I do think cycling is, is really exciting anyway. And because of how, how much they've taken the sport forward, completely above board, they have been surrounded by their controversies in Of course they have. As every completely team is, above board? Be certainly to this point, there hasn't yeah, been, there, has, there is absolutely nothing that would suggest there's no, no one's been found guilty of anything. No, it's, 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 uh, it's muddy waters, absolutely. There are certain things, and I have some feelings on, on certain things to do with asthma inhalers that certain riders probably yeah, should have declared in their autobiographies. use exemptions exactly. is a contentious it, And this is the problem, and, and, and forever cycling will unfortunately be tarnished by that era that Armstrong dominated. But what you do have is a rider in Chris Froome and a team in Team Sky that are elevating that sport yeah. constantly with what they call marginal gains. Listen, competitiveness is important in sport, and that is why I think a lot of people look at Team Sky and think, look, or Dimnios, you've got more money than everybody else, you've hoovered up all the best talent. It's a bit like Manchester United in the 90s. It kind of is that point where they were so dominant that everybody outside of Manchester yeah. and that, that fan base just found it so frustrating and so easy to dislike, and that is the problem with Ineos. But that should absolutely not take away from the fact that you have got somebody who is on an even playing field because they're all riders at the end of the day that are all riding to the majority as we are as we are because none of them have been found guilty of anything clean is so utterly dominant and to win four tours and to win to win a Giro as well to win a Vuelta as well in the same year I think yeah. he became I don't know the numbers one or third I think man in history to hold all three in the same uh, year period I mean he's a phenomenal rider and the fact that the UAE Tour which is which is actually a massive event I think people are quite dismissive sometimes of these world events that, that come here but this is, this is a significant event it's a huge huge event it's a partner event of the Giro which is arguably as big as the Tour de France it doesn't quite get the column inches because it hasn't won Tier two. it hasn't run for quite as long and, and because the Brits don't necessarily do as well as they have done recently in the Tour but it's a huge event it takes in it takes in all seven Emirates yeah. over all seven days it goes past some some unbelievable scenery it, it finishes there's one ride that if anyone's been to the Hatta Dam the, the final 100 metres of a stage all the way yeah. from Dubai Town Centre through Al Qudra all the way down there is that climb up into the dam it, it's gorgeous it's put together brilliantly and it attracts big big talent Chris yep. Froome is here other riders in Cavin, Alejandro Cav- Cavendish has been Cavendish here Marcel Kittel Dubai Tour and Abu Dhabi Tour for anyone that perhaps has been aware of those the UE Tour has now amalgamated it's essentially it so brought those the se- two together this is the second year and it's seven stages seven stages seven emirates seven days some road closures sorry about that folks but they do move pretty quickly so they do get those out the way don't worry about it all right it's a it's a cracking event not just for cycling fans such as myself but for anybody that just wants to come down and see elite level sport there's a finish at city walk for example it's a brilliant brilliant event there's media villages It it really certainly unites the cycling community in dubai and abu dhabi and the rest of the ua which is huge 
And the other big aspect that it does, it showcases this country incredible, like RCS, who are the, the organisers, yeah. and who, they do an unbelievable job. I'm not quite sure of the production company, but you've got the helicopters and some <laughs> of the shots beamed around the world. They showcase this country in wonderful fashion, so yeah. they do. I think Chris Froome, just one last word on Chris yeah. Froome, he doesn't help himself with, and he's admitted this, and I give him credit for admitting this, he's a cyclist first, he's a personality probably 12th on his list and he's admitted that he's like I'm not painting myself to be something I'm not and and I know a lot of people a lot of kind of marketing execs would love to get that man in a room and say hey come on Chris you need to loosen up a little bit but you know what I respect that what does he want to do he wants to be a great cyclist before he wants to be a TV personality or someone giving wonderful little sound bites it's such a tricky balance I mean you go back to one of the examples you gave us earlier Lewis Hamilton is lambasted when he tries to show any kind of personality so is he is he too ah there's a difference with Lewis though you never know which Lewis you're getting no exactly which is the point I was was going to make Is is he this clinical machine-like deliverer of excellence constantly on the track or is he a wannabe rapper with his pop star no I, I absolutely agree but take cycling Bradley Wiggins was the darling of the British he press for, for a long yeah, long time but that's because he had long sideburns and like punk music <laughs> yeah. he didn't necessarily give you yeah. masses of value he's actually turned into a, to a pretty good pundit uh, very as, it, good. as it goes he, he offers some some real good insight but during his racing career he did kind of make cycling quite cool I think yeah, he did. I think it's interesting. And, and I know you said one last thing, but I, I'd like to get this in, that Froome coming back now with an eye almost certainly on the, the tour in July, probably the Giro might come too early for him. I think it's about six weeks, eight weeks yeah, earlier. It's the tour he's focusing in on. But what's going to happen in the tour for Team Sky is that they have now got in their midst a four-time champion, yeah. the 2019 champion, Egan Bernal, who only rode the tour wow. and was given privilege to tour a challenge because he got injured himself and pulled out the Giro and then Froome pulled out. And then they've got the year before champion, Grant Thomas, who's finished second. That is not a dressing room that I want to be in to see who's going to be pulling the front flag for them. Absolutely not. (laughs) Right then, there is plenty more still to come. I love the fact that cycling, we're giving (laughs) rightly so as well, because I know there's an awful lot of cycling enthusiasts out there. Let us know your thoughts. No no matter what you think of Team Enios, no matter what you think of Chris Froome, there is no denying it is great news for that particular tour. Chris Froome, four-time winner of the Tour de France, will be here February 23rd. There's another big story that's been making headlines this past week. I'll get Matt's thoughts on an Argentine and a Brazilian potentially, potentially playing for the UE national football team. All of that to come in just a moment. Stay tuned. Unbelievable goal! This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Yeah, just approaching 25 past six on your Saturday evening. Great to have your company with us. 4001 to get involved in the conversation. I do implore you all to do just that. If you love your sport, I know an awful lot of you will have your opinions, whether that be on cycling, the world of cycling, whether that be on Chris Froome confirmation this past week that the four-time Tour de France winner will be heading to the UAE February 23rd for that seven-stage UAE Tour. Now then, there is a game ongoing. Emirates FA Cup fourth round action. Early kickoff from Griffin Park. Beautiful Griffin Park. It's an old stadium. It's got steeped in history, steeped in tradition. It is Brentford against Leicester. It's Matthew Fortune alongside myself, Chris McCarty, for now. And it's Leicester who are eight minutes away from booking a fifth round place. They are indeed, Chris. They're still leading by that Kelechi Iheanacho goal in the first half. A well-taken goal at the far post. I have to say, though, 
I'm fancying Brentford to keep knocking on this door for the last eight, nine minutes that we've got here because they have certainly looked in the ascendancy, a tiny bit of quality just lacking here and there. They have hit the post with a speculative curling ball to the far post, but Leicester are wobbling. We're looking at them now, lamenting a referee decision to give away a corner. That is a sign that they don't want to keep fancying balls into the box. It hasn't been wholly convincing from the Foxes. But it is 1-0 to them, and they could do with a win, Leicester, of course. Lost four of the last six in the Premier League. They could do with this to get themselves back on track. But I think stay tuned, because for the next 10 minutes, they're going to be fighting for it. Brentford have been in wonderful form in the Championship, and you've got to give Brendan Rodgers an awful lot of credit. He rolled the dice a little bit today. He's made an awful lot of changes. Christ, uh, Christian Fuchs has come oh, in. Oh, what a save that is. Excellent save. Danny Ward, what a keeper he is. Formerly on loan at Aberdeen from Liverpool. Signed permanently at Leicester. He's pulled off a wonderful save to deny Ratchich, what would have been a spectacular equaliser, a volley from the corner on the penalty spot, it's a stunning save, yeah you'd expect him to save it Matthew it's straight at him, but he got that big right paw of yeah. his up you've got, to, you've got to raise questions about that Leicester City defending yeah. though Chris, I think Ratchich has pulled to just in front of the penalty spot and has got all the time in the world to measure a side footed volley, just tucking in under the crossbar it was, but you're right, kind of regulation save, but still needs to get it done and we look again for this second corner again, oh free header that he's just missed and Leicester clear you look at the boys he's taken in though. Christian Fuchs, the, uh, the left back. Big chance. We've got a goal. It's offside. It is offside. offside. Brentford. I, I want to, we're level. I want to have a look at this, Chris, because there were two players at the back post there. It's the substitute and Bueno who's just come on that was the one who tucked it away. I do have a feeling there was a man just behind him Let's that see. may have been able to tuck that in from an onside position. Oh, let's nice off. Oh, it's a, it's it's a yard. It's Mabuena that puts it away. Oh, it's a yard. Oh, it's, a, it's close. It was actually the player that was slightly more offside. It was the one who did miss it. I can't see who that was on the replay, but that was tight. Leicester again, that's two corners in a row, which they've not looked wholly convincing. But Griffin Park, tough place to go. I think Brentford nine, I think it is, nine successive wins at Griffin Park. Now, there's a stat for you. If that is indeed, I'll, I'll double check that. Nine league wins coming into this one. But Brendan Rodgers, obviously, it's been a tough time. Festive period takes yeah. an awful lot out. You're starting 11. But you think of the players that he's bringing in. Christian Fuchs left back when they won the league yeah. Wes Morgan okay he's veteran status now Indeed. centre half when they won the league Mark Albrighton winger opposite flank of Riyad Mahrez yeah. when they won the league I'm a huge fan of Hamza Chowdhury yeah. I think he is a midfielder that will go on to bigger and better things I think he's a young player with huge potential he's brought in today so he's rolled the dice he's played the squad he's given fringe players an opportunity and the, and the credit all to them, and I know they've ridden their luck a little bit in the, the last few minutes, but right now they're on the cusp of going through, and it's credit to Brendan. Yeah, it is. It's credit to, to the, the way that he manages, I think. I think of, of all the teams in the Premier League, Rodgers is certainly one of those that has his own philosophy that bleeds into the entire football club. I know he had it at Swansea, mm. and I know he had it at Celtic. You need only look at some of the youth team players that are coming up yeah. at Celtic that are worth an extraordinary amount of money, but that's because you don't just coach the first team when you're Brendan Rodgers you coach all the way down through the system and what he's done at Leicester in a short space of time is really imprint a philosophy on the club from top to bottom and absolutely when you do bring players in like that someone like Wes Morgan who played a very different way of course when they won the title and someone like Christian Fuchs who would have thought we might deserve a little bit more respect here, I think, at Leicester, having done what we did for the club. Of course, Claudio Ranieri would have thought the same before he was fired the following season. But they've bided their time, and they have, you're right, taken their opportunity here tonight. I don't want to sound like Brendan, but he is a top, top manager, <laughs> is Brendan Rogers. Right then, another story I want to get your thoughts on, Matthew. And again, 4 0 I want to hear from you on this, because... 
It is a little contentious. There, there is no doubt about that. A lot of you will have your own views on this, but a massive story pertaining to local football this past week. And I'm going to give full props to John McCauley, our good friend, down at the National newspaper, because uh, he sat down with a striker. I've been fortunate enough to catch up with Sebastian Taglebu, an Argentine striker, now 34 years of age. Anyone that follows the Arabian Gulf League closely will be well aware of Sebastian Taglebu because he is 34 years of age. He's been with Abu Dhabi-based al Wahda since 2013. He's actually become the highest-scoring foreigner ever in UE football. He actually is just 19 behind the man who holds the all-time record for UE football. That man is Fahad Kamis. He's on 146 goals. Staggering record that for Sebastian Taglubui since coming in to UE football. Now, news this past week that he has been granted UAE citizenship. Now, another man, Taglubui is Argentine. Cayo Canedo, formerly of Alwasel, now at Alain, fine footballer. Anyone that follows the local league will know he's a real good player. Reads the game really well. He's a striker as well. He can drop deep. He can pick a pass. He can score goals. He's a very good player. He's Brazilian-born. He, too, has been granted citizenship. Now, what does all of that mean? Well, it means, and again, there's been no statement as of yet from the UEFA, but plus two plus two equals four in this instance. Mm. It means that they can represent the UAE national team. Now, of course, this has all been triggered by a presidential decree issued by His Highness Sheikh Khalifa back in November 2017. It is in line with FIFA rules. FIFA rules state that if a player has been in a country for five years, has not represented the country of their birth, they become eligible to represent their adopted country. And I think the example I gave in midweek when Robbie and I discussed this at length was James Tavernier, who is the captain right back of Rangers. He is an English born, he is English, but he's been at Rangers now, he's closing in on that five years. Now, he ain't getting ahead of Trent Alexander-Arnold, who right now is the best right back in world football. He's got Kyle Walker, he's got Kieran Trippier ahead of him. Give up on that one, James, you're a good player, <laughs> you ain't getting in that England squad. Some suggestion that he may well change his allegiance to Scotland. It's a problem position for Scotland right now, James Tavernier, uh, captain of Glasgow Rangers. Not, not quite like left-back. No. <laughs> problem with Scotland. London buses. You get one world-class player and another one comes along in the same generation. Andy Robertson and Kieran Tierney, of course. But in this instance, give me your thoughts on it. And again, 4001 on it because, well, let's delve into it. Sebastian Tagliabue is 34. Kayo is, I think, 29. Positive for UE football? Yeah. Do you know what, Chris? I, I actually don't see any issues with this. First and foremost, as you explained, it's above the rules in yep. FIFA, absolutely. And I think, listen, you and I, between us, have been here, what, the best part of 17, 18 years? Ten years for me. Exactly. And I, and I think that it, depend, it depends what your relationship is with a country. Listen, these guys are not being brought in. I'm going to take you back, actually. Let me start again. I'm going to take you back to 2012, yep. the London Olympics. Yes. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to be working on, on a British newspaper back then. And every single day, the British Olympic Committee were announcing somebody else from some far-flung part of the world that was eligible to represent Great Britain in the Olympics. Yeah. They'd never trained here. Uh, they'd never trained there, should I say. They had no affiliation with the country whatsoever. They weren't even trying to stretch it to great-great-grandfathers from your second cousin that bought a dog off the bloke down the road. <laughs> they weren't even trying to do that. What they were doing was essentially cheating the medal system to try and elevate themselves for what was a home Olympics. To me, not appropriate. Similarly, someone who is not good enough to represent their country and leans on a grandmother from Ireland. I look at someone like 
and this is, he's only come to my head, but he hasn't done this, Declan Rice was wrestling with the idea, born and raised quite near me in Morden, near Wimbledon, had a grandmother who was Irish, I have yep. a grandfather who was Irish, never been there, never lived there, I'd have absolutely no interest in representing that country just to get a feel of international football, yeah. were I even remotely good enough. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see, long way <laughs> shy of that, Matthew. <laughs> These two guys, and as I get to my point, have lived in this country for five, six, seven years nearly, have represented clubs, have represented the people of those clubs, of those cities, with absolute aplomb, have achieved things, have brought the league forward, have brought the local players, the Emiratis around them, elevated them yeah, by standard. being excellent footballers, by not dialing it in, by not coming here and picking up a big cha- paycheck Fair. and just dialing their performance in. They have lived and breathed the Emirati way when it comes to sport. I can't comment on them personally. 100%. But what they have done is certainly brought something to UAE football. And I actually think that somebody like these two guys... It's just rewards because what they're doing is they're not taking the place of somebody else. They've come in. They've earned their right. They didn't come here with the idea of doing it. They have bought themselves that that gift. Faith. I think. Faith in it. And I think. It? And I think it's absolutely great. And I also think that it's going to it's going to elevate UAE football yeah. even more as long as the framework is in place yeah, to it. not start doing that all the time and not yeah. think right. Let's bring you over. Just bear it for five years. Then you get the opportunity. As long as that framework is in place for the young Emirati footballers, even the young footballers such as our children were we to have them of football playing age to be able to have that opportunity to represent the country as long as that framework is in place by bringing in these two guys and it is absolutely and this is the first step in all of that I think you're absolutely right on that and again I I can only speculate on behalf of the UEFA I know we're chasing a comment on this but they've clearly done their due diligence they've looked at the impact that Sebastian and Caio have had on the field and off the field and they've given them them their opportunity now it's brass tacks. Let's talk to brass tacks for a second. Those two players undoubtedly are quality players. They help the UAE in their bid to reach another major tournament, i.e. the World Cup. You've got to go back to 1990 for the last time that the UAE did that. In the short term, what it will do, if they do indeed help, and I know ifs, buts and maybes, get the UAE to a major tournament, the impact that that will have below Huge. them at grassroots level what it does do it tells my kids your kids when we eventually have well I've got a little daughter who <laughs> won't represent the men's team of course from a UE perspective but what it does do is it tells all the parents out there no matter your background who call the UE home who have had children here to say hey listen you're good enough, yeah. you grew up to be good enough at whatever sport that you may have because of course the UE is home for a lot of these kids of so course. whilst you're from South Africa America, Canada Dubai's all you know, or Abu Dhabi, or Sharjah, wherever is all you know, then it gives you something to aspire to, because the UE feels like home. Yes, you might be from a certain country, your your parents might be, but the UE is home for you, and if you're good enough, the pathway is now there to say, listen, doesn't matter, we welcome yeah. you in. You have now got an opportunity to fly the flag, to sing the national anthem, to say, hey, the UE's been home for me since a young age, and now I've got the ultimate accolade of representing this country on the greatest stages of all. Let us know on that on 4001. I'm conscious of time. We'll continue this conversation as we go this evening. And uh, three minutes of added on time uh, has already ticked past at Griffin Park. So we'll hopefully have a full-time result for you. I'm going to get a special guest on the line in just a moment because uh, big news pertaining to Newcastle United. Premier League Football Club, of course, a club with rich history, huge fan base in the northeast of England. Big news in the last 24 hours. Stay tuned. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Fast approaching 20-7. It's not Tom Uckert today, although he will be with us shortly. He's got 
Well, he'll have a story to tell because he's been a busy boy today down at the Seven Stadium, one of the greatest youth sporting festivals, and I don't say that lightly, in the UAE and anywhere really in the region. He'll have all the details on that in just a moment. But I want to talk about a big story that has come out of the UK footballing uh, uh, standpoint on this one because, uh, well, Newcastle United, when I say Newcastle United to you, Matthew Fortune, big club? Oh, enormous. Yeah, Absolutely so. Listen, Huge club, right? Listen, a one-club city yep. who fill out this well, barring the protests <laughs> that go on. So hang on, yep. maybe take that back. A one-club city, a stadium in the middle of the city. I've been fortunate enough to go to St. James's Park. Less fortunate about the result. It was 4-4. It was my, tw- my 25th birthday was oh, the 4-4. I remember it. Yeah, indeed. 4-0 down. Well, Arsenal were 4-0 up. Arsenal were 4-0 up after about 26 minutes. Joey Barton um, playing that day. Yeah, got Abu, Dhabi, Abu, Abu Diaby sent off. Yes, he did. I yeah. remember well, that. Well, Abu Diaby got Abu Diaby sent off, but, but Joey Barton, then, not for the first time in his career, was the uh, aggressor in that. The late... The Lexiote, indeed. Um, But again, massively self-indulgent of me. I'm very. (laughs) It's it's fine. You be. Matt, give us an opinion on sport. Well, let me tell you about myself, Chris. First, (laughs) they are. They are. I tell you what they are, and and this next guest will 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 probably be better placed to tell us what. uh, I guess uh, I use this word, not like Messiah. Someone that comes in there and makes that club. What I think the fan base and the infrastructure deserves that, will be someone who will be revered. They'll, they'll build a statue within a week. But that's what they want at Newcastle United. That's because because the stadium is in the middle of the city. Because everybody in that city dare not support anybody else. They need they they they're all united. I mean, there is never a better use of the yeah. term United in a football club because the whole city lives and breathes it. If Newcastle lose on a Saturday, work on Monday is a yeah, grim place to be right. in Newcastle. So if you have someone that comes in and believes everything that, that that city wants and helps deliver it, they might not deliver it. Listen, they haven't won trophies for years, but somebody that wants to deliver it, yeah. that wants to yeah, take right. that entire city with them, that's what it needs. And that's why I think it's a big club. It will never happen. But if I had a billion quid, I kid you not, this yeah. club would be number one one on my list. The reason we're talking about it is big story, Sky Sports News who I don't take I never take anything, you know they are good. When they say their sources <laughs> they're well connected. Big story the Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund are in talks to buy Newcastle United that's what Sky Sports in the UK are reporting. They are apparently not the only group interested in completing a takeover of the club from Mike Ashley. Now one man who has a say more versed than Matthew or I on this particular subject is good friend of ours, Neil Mitchell, formerly the uh, chairman of the supporters club over at Newcastle. He's doing some stellar work in this part of the world to set up a new Newcastle United supporters club. He joins us live on the line now. Neil, good evening to you, my friend. Evening, Chris. Been a while. It has indeed been a while. Let's delve straight into this one, Neil, because as I say, you are a man that that knows what you're talking about when it comes to all things Newcastle. You're going to say they're a massive club. We know they're a massive club. But let's delve into this one. Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund, so they're not short of a bob or two, are apparently in talks to buy Newcastle United. What do you know of the situation as it stands right now? My understanding is that there were talks um, over the summer because... Uh, there's a name you will have heard before, Amanda Stavely's mentioned in that report also. Um, and obviously she's been involved in attempts to buy the club previously. Yes. Um, my understanding is that there were talks over the summer and they've gone nowhere. Um, oh. I, I find the, the release of this news quite interesting. You say Sky Sports are reporting and it actually comes through the Financial Times, which is quite an unusual source for a football story. Um 
there are groups, there are always groups interested in Newcastle United, I can tell you concrete from the Middle East, and certainly from within this region, very close to home here in Dubai, there's continued interest. Um, the one thing I'll always say from this, and this is what Mike Ashley says himself, the first thing you will know about this takeover is when it is done. And yeah. so the minute it gets leaked to the press, and you, you look at Amanda Stabley's bid two years ago, if you look at Benzaya Group's bid from here in Dubai last year, the minute it was in the paper, the deal was dead. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't see where this is going. What, what I would tell you is I think this has been leaked. I think it's been leaked by Mike Ashley's side because you've got to think who would benefit from this leak at, at this time as well. The timing's curious too. Neil, we've had long conversations privately about this. Let's talk Mike Ashley mm. for a second because let's be frank about it. He's not got many fans at Newcastle United. The fans are up in arms. They, they feel that he's essentially robbing the club. He, he's, he's not really been one to dip into his pocket all that much. He is essentially bleeding the club. He is taking advantage of the huge sums that are invested in football through the various TV corporations, etc. You've always said that when it comes to Mike, it's as if, yes, he's, he, he's tempted to sell and then he likes to move the goalpost he wants that little bit extra out of deals what do we know of Mike be honest here does he want to sell the football club my understanding is from people who know um, from people who've been close to deals is that he is a, he is a seller but he's not a willing seller he's not he's not one or rather he's not a seller under pressure it's not like he's got banks asking for money from him um, there's no way he can leverage him out of a deal um, so any deal that has to be struck with Mike Ashley is 100% on his terms, in 100% his way, and, he, and he's quite at ease because the way he's got the club set up, it runs, it ticks. Yeah. It doesn't, does, it, 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 he doesn't have to put much money into his own pocket provided he doesn't relegate away again. Yeah. Um, and that's why he has put his money in his pocket when we have been relegated because he knows that once you're in the Premier League, you just tick. And he's quite happy to do that. I think he, to get a deal out of Mike Ashley, you've got to make sure, you've got to understand who, who his influences are within his business empire and, and satisfy his terms. I'm telling you now, if you put the money he wants on the table and do the deal with him, he will sell to you and he doesn't care who you are. Right then, how much is that? That's the key point. I've heard all sorts of right. 340 million. Then I heard 400 million because let's be frank, he's a businessman. So he is seeing yeah. the money that is pouring into the Premier League. He knows that in the next yeah. round of negotiations, that football club is going to be probably worth another 100 million. So what does it take to sell that man? The, the, the figure of around about 350 million seems about right. That, okay. that seems about right. And, and I think if, if somebody was to come along and plug that on the table, in one go, the deal would be done. Um, what somebody then needs to make Newcastle United competitive, because let's face it, if it was Saudi buying the club, they wouldn't be happy languishing in 13th no. when Man City are challenging for a title from Abu Dhabi. They're going to be wanting to be challenging for the title. So the figures have been given again by people within the game or anywhere from 700 million to a billion liquid to actually make Newcastle United a competitive operation. Um, that's the reality. That's what you're dealing with. So, so when you say Saudi World Sovereign Wealth Fund, that's why people start to get a little bit excited. Oh, yeah. Because listen, they're probably... Every club, every club, Sovereign Wealth Fund from Saudi Arabia. I mean, there isn't a club that wouldn't be excited about that because, of course, it's, it's, it's not quite bottomless, but there is a huge wealth there that could invest into a football club if they are willing to transform yeah. your club almost overnight. 
but, but I'll tell you, the, the timing of this, this leak for me says a lot because firstly, we've got season ticket renewals due at the end of this month. Um, we're in the middle of a transfer window and is Mike Ashley going to spend or is he not? Um, and then the next thing is as well, is if you want to buy the club and you want to have your people in place and your manager in place and your structure in place for the opening day of the, the transfer window of next season, yeah. you're going to have to have your bid on the table by Valentine's Day. Yeah. And I think, I think this, is a, this has been leaked very deliberately because I know there's people from the Gulf interest and I know there's people from the Gulf talking to him. This week, I know. And the trouble is, if they're not putting their money on the table, how does he influence them to say, right, hurry up, lad, or Saudi are interested, mind? Yeah. Cricket, they make somebody from this region jump, I would imagine. Tell me this, Mike. Uh, tell me this, Neil. I was going to call you Mike there. Sorry for that, Mike. Actually, don't want to be associated with that. <laughs> Neil, tell me this, Steve Bruce, someone who was. Let's be frank about it. We've poked a little bit of fun at him. There's a wonderful video doing the rounds on social media. If you haven't seen it, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It's Steve Bruce getting out of a chair. Trust me when I say, yeah. just type in that. Steve Bruce getting out of a chair. It's just it's comedy gold on social media. But let's let, let's give Steve his due. He's done a heck of a job, has he not, this season? But he's, I think the, the one thing I say about Steve Bruce, he's taking a job on a hiding and nothing. On the on the back end of Rafa Benitez leaving and the relationship he had with the fan base, the fact that he's been Sunderland manager, the fact that he, you know there's a number of things that um, he, really stack up against him, and he's done. He's done what I would do. You know, I'm, I, he he played for Wales End Boys Club. I played at Wales End Boys Club. Would I take the job if I was offered it? Of course, I'd blink and would. <laughs> you know, um, I'd jump at it. Um, and I think that's the, 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 the one thing, it's a job that he can't win in. And I think that that's, that's the problem that, that they make after years is we've now become so entrenched that actually the club cannot win whatever they do. They give 10,000 season tickets away and then that was seen as some, something negative. Um, they've dropped the price of the cup tickets today to fill the ground and kids are getting in for a quid. And that's been used as a stick to beat the club with. So in some respect, they can't do anything right anymore. And that's because of Mike Ashby's ownership. And, it, and it's just a mess. And Steve Bruce is just part of that. Um, I, I, what, what I like about the team under him at the minute is he's continued this spirit. The spirit that saw will be Chelsea in the last minute. The spirit that saw was two goals in injury time against Everton through the week. Um, that says a lot about what's happening in the dressing room. And, and Bruce has got to have something to do with that. Neil, thanks for coming on. It's Matt here. I'm a fascinating chat. I really Hi. enjoy hearing the insight about it. I'm a big fan of, of Newcastle as a club. I was saying to Chris earlier, I have, I've been mm. to the city. I was there for that famous 4-4 game about six, seven oh, years yeah. ago. <laughs> so it wasn't the greatest experience for Aguna sitting in up in the gods up there. But tell me, what is it that, that Newcastle fans want from their club? There's not an expectation, of course, that you're going to get, no. as Chelsea did, 10, 12, 15 years ago, a lot of money you're going to win the title within two years. Football's changed so much. What is it that you want from your ownership structure and from whoever it is that does finally relieve you of Mike Ashley owning it? What we, is that, that core that you need? We just want someone who cares. Who cares about the club the way we care about the club. Somebody who understands, and you touched on it, that club is in the centre of the city. It is the heartbeat of the city. It is very much the measure of the city. There is suggestion that productivity goes up to a fivefold on a Monday after a win at the weekend. <laughs> um, it very much is um, this connection, this synergy between club, city, and community 
that's gone at the minute. That's what's gone under Mike Ashley. There's a disconnect there. And we just want an owner that cares. And we want an owner that wants to let us dream again. Because that's all we... You know, we've not, won a, we've not won a trophy since 1969. So we don't expect trophies. But what we like to do is to go up against the great and good and bloody than us. We, we love to go up against the great and good and, and have a punch as chance of just doing something. Those, you know, we've been in the Champions League. We've had these experiences. As a fan, you know, I've travelled the length and breadth of Europe following Newcastle United. That's dreams. And that's all we want. Yeah. Listen, Neil, I can get on board with that. Last one from me. But you would agree, though, you would agree with this assertion that Sunderland are the bigger club in that neck of the woods, right? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I've got, got a, a woman pool, maybe. Oh, I've got, I've got <laughs> a warning, Neil. You can't swear on air, buddy. No, I'm only messing. I am, of course, only... There'll be one or two Sunderland fans out there, I'm sure, disagreeing. But, Neil, you always talk an awful lot of Saints. I mean, last one from us, and we'll let you get going, because I know you're getting ready for kick-off this evening. Will I... you... Do you foresee from what your understanding of it is, from the ch- conversations you're having with people very much in the know, will a takeover mm. be done by the start of next season as you know it today? If if there is one that is serious, that really wants to make it happen, for me, the deadline's Valentine's Day. You've got to have your money on the table by Valentine's Day. Is there anybody poised and able to do that? Yes, I think there are. Um, will it happen? I genuinely don't know. Uh, but all I will say is I'm doing absolutely everything I can in my own little way to make sure that happens. Well, listen, Neil, always a pleasure. I appreciate your honesty, your frankness on the subject. And just as a football fan, I wish Newcastle well. It would be great to see Newcastle United transformed because the fan base is there, the stadia is there, there is no doubt about it. An entertaining Newcastle side, and I'm going back all the way to the mid-90s. Newcastle are a heck of a side when they're in full flow. Neil Mitchell, always a pleasure, my man. Enjoy the game this evening. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Chris. Speak to you, mate. Take care. Great stuff, great stuff there from Neil. So there he is then, he's telling us that that Saudi bid, according to his sources, was already on the table. So this perhaps, and the cynic in me is kind of nodding when he says yeah. season renewals up at the end of the month. I, I think you could, you could hear the tone in his yeah. voice, couldn't you? Newcastle fans have been here several times before. Yeah. Absolutely. Right then, stay with us. Plenty more still to come. We'll have team news. Big games coming up at 7 o'clock. It's Emirates FA Cup fourth round action. Beautiful night down here at Barasti. If you are looking for somewhere to watch your football, only one place to be. It is, of course, the sport where the game is always on. You're listening to The Grill. More of the biggest sports stories now. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Yeah, just gone 5 to 7. Great to have your company this evening. A lot of you getting in touch. Always like to see that people are getting in touch with us. Please do that. 4001. I'm not, I don't take any cut from the four fills the hard earned cash that you guys spend to message in but I just always enjoy when you guys get in touch and get involved in the conversation no name on this particular text but it's a good one saying this is amazing going back to Sebastian Tagliabue and Mm. Caio Canedo Argentine and Brazilian born players who have been made UE citizens and who will putting two and two together and spitting out four represent the UE national football team in the not too distant future I wish I was younger says one I used to be a very good goalkeeper so did I at one stage my height is 191 centimetres don't think that's going to help you now (laughs) do let us know your age this is a chance for a new generation absolutely agree with that we love Dubai we love the UE it is our home massive props to what they've done great message that absolutely and I think we were talking about this off air Chris after after that last section I think of 
I'm very fortunate. I was born and raised in, in southwest London. Both my parents are English, so I feel very English. Listen, I love the UAE. I've made you it my home for, for the Scotland. last six or seven years. Listen, if you can't get a game and, yeah, I'm, and I'm not as good as you, then I'll be oh, hard pushed. Oh, thanks for that. I'll take and that. Oh, I don't know why I just said that. Yeah, that was thanks. weird. Cheers for that. Live on national <laughs> um, Listen, I love the UAE. I mean, I'm in no way able to, to qualify for any sort of sporting performance for them. But I do think of, of the great number of people here now in this in this brilliantly multicultural city and country that we live in that might not necessarily feel particularly wedded to a place. Yeah. They might have one parent from one part of the world, another parent from, from another part. They could have been raised here, educated in the home of one of their parents back in the UK, in the States, for example, in Canada but they don't necessarily have somewhere that feels homely. And I think this this door that we think has been opened for people that call the UAE home for a period of time and that can provide some sort of value to it from a, certainly it's taken very specifically on a sporting perspective, I think that is... I think that's really empowering for people. I think I, I work with a girl, for example, and I, and I won't name her, but I'm sure she won't mind me saying, an English father, an Egyptian mother, raised here, educated in the States said to me the other day I don't you know I'm a, I'm a little bit of everything imagine that she had a, a pathway yeah. towards representing the UAE at something at anything it could be any, any any sport it could be jiu-jitsu it could be football it could be netball it could be whatever it is that is so empowering for people in a multicultural world and none, none more so multicultural than the United yeah. Arab Emirates I think it's I think it's a really positive thing because yeah, I, I really do I don't disagree with that I don't disagree get your thoughts in on 4001 right then we are eh, an awful lot to discuss to be fair there's the cricket as well it's been a big day for England Ben Stokes as well we can't possibly tell you what he said <laughs> to a fan but he's got in a little bit of trouble has Ben Stokes it was picked up on microphones yesterday we'll fill you in with the details on that one after 7 o'clock I'm sure Tom Mucker who will be joining us shortly will have his own views on that of course a man that knows Ben very well does Tom but I just want to run through the 7 o'clock games from an Emirates FA Cup perspective early kickoff, a little earlier was Brentford against Leicester Leicester City booking their place in the 5th round a 1-0 victory at Griffin Park good result that for Brendan Rodgers Burnley they take on Norwich it's Coventry against Birmingham Millwall Gary Rowett has got Millwall playing some good stuff potential banana skin for Sheffield United who are at the New Dane this afternoon Newcastle they take on Carl Robinson's Oxford United it's Portsmouth Kenny Jacket there at Fratton Park they take on Barnsley Reading against Cardiff in an all-championship tie I guess the tie of this particular 7pm kickoffs. it is the all-Premier League affair at St Mary's Southampton against Jose Mourinho's Tottenham Hotspur wow. West Ham against West Brom I'm going to politely disagree with you Chris I think that the, the West Derby as it is not known by anybody whatsoever West Ham versus West Bromwich Albion is the, is the tie for me because Slavin. I think I just think West Ham United it's just it's not going well they were, there they were is awful it in midweek. They, they really were, awful were. and I think up against a championship side but a good championship side someone like Charlie Austin who I know has been perpetually linked with moves to West Ham United doing good things down there for the baggies I think that's a really intriguing matchup because I think West Ham lose that I think Moyes is going to be oh, nerd- come on. not not for not He's for just a taking di- the job not for a dismissal but certainly for the, the the complexion of the rest of their season I think he'll be looking nervously at what he's got in store for the next 4 or 5 months Slaven Bilic as well former defender of course yeah, former of course. manager of West Ham and I've got to say looking at the starting 11s very interesting David Moyes has uh, made a couple of changes to that. We'll get to team news in a second. And a reminder, it's Hull against Chelsea. That is your late kickoff at 9.30 from an FA Cup perspective. There is one match in the English Championship. It is Stoke against Swansea City. We'll keep an eye on that for you as well. And I guess the big line from Europe last night, Erling Haaland, this young (laughs) 18-year-old 
who is a sensation. My good friend has scouted him a few times this uh, uh, this season. Said, and this was a few weeks back, he said he is a generational footballer. Like, not quite Kylian Mbappe, but the next tier down. And when he says something like that, and I respect his... <laughs> Isn't Kylian Mbappe still only about... 20. 20. I mean, Kylian Mbappe <laughs> is the next. I mean, Kylian Mbappe is, is unbelievable. But Erling Haaland off the bench last night for yeah. Dortmund. He got another two goals. It's five goals in he, 60 Bundesliga minutes now. He might be doing well enough to start. I mean, it's might you think sooner or later? Here's a little stat for you, Chris, just to uh, to bring your mood down somewhat. Haaland Don't has scored more goals than Manchester oh, United Jeffers. in 2020. Cheers. He's played 57 minutes. Manchester United have played 360 scoring just four cheers for that (laughs) brilliant thanks for that Bundesliga games are ongoing Borussia Mönchengladbach are taking on Mainz I can tell you it's one apiece in that one Eintracht Frankfurt taking on the league leaders RB Leipzig what a job Julian Nagelsmann has done at Leipzig still goalless in that one the late kickoff and it's a good one Bayern Munich going up against David Wagner's Schalke as well that one at 9.30 so all of that is ongoing there's matches over in France we'll keep you up to date with as well and uh, so much beyond that Scottish Premiership as well all of that we'll keep you up to date with as the goals go in in the Emirates FA Cup we'll keep you up to date with all of it we've got to talk Anthony Joshua Eddie Hearn's been talking we've got to get Ben Stokes we'll talk cricket we'll talk tennis and we'll update you on what's going on on day three moving Saturday of the Omega Dubai Desert Classic stay tuned this is The Grill join the conversation text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app there's just so much more to hear download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com